You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. We've been going through the Book of Psalms, and the Book of Psalms has 150 chapters. And so we call it the Songs of the Summer. And I don't know about you, but I've been around long enough that when somebody like uses a certain phrase, it triggers a song in my head, and it, my 13-year-old loves this um, because I'll begin to sing the song, and uh, she needs to cover her ears at that point. But our prayer and desire is that as we go through the, the psalms, which are songs that cover the gamut of emotion, of circumstances in life, that they would become the songs of your heart. That even this morning as we look at Psalm 96, that the different truths in there, as you're going through life, whether it's a great day or a bad day, that it it might trigger a psalm as a song for your own life, for your own heart. And so, look with me at Psalm 96. I'm going to read it for us here, and then we're going to dig in. And it's a a song of thanks. It's a song of praise. The psalmist writes, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be a feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering. And come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for Your Word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, um, as You are present in this place, whether we have a personal faith with Jesus or not, uh, may you speak to our hearts in a way that we would turn to Jesus and experience him as a new song in our lives. And use your word. Uh, Use me as a conduit for that, that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you and you alone for your glory's sake and your name's sake. Amen. So a little background on Psalm 96. 
As you notice, a lot of times in the Psalms, there'll be a little subscript below the, the particular title. Well, in this Psalm, there isn't one. And so, there's no specific author that gets credit for this Psalm. But the interesting thing is that this psalm is almost word for word used in 1 Chronicles 16. And 1 Chronicles 16 is a time when King David is, is reestablishing the presence of the ark in Jerusalem. And so the ark, I won't go into the whole detail because it starts in 1 Samuel, but the ark has basically been on a 20 to 30 year journey in, in, with the Philistines in different places in Israel, and now it's finally coming back. And so David decides as he brings the ark back into Jerusalem, he sets up this massive entourage of musicians, elders, military commanders, singers, and, and they bring the ark into Jerusalem and David sets it up in a tent in Jerusalem. And then they make all these offerings, peace offerings, burnt offerings, before the Lord. And as David is doing this, he, give, he sings a song of thanks. So here's the king of Israel singing before the people. And part of his song is Psalm 96. And so that's part of the setting. That's part of, like, this, this song is used for that setting before the people of God after the ark has been away for decades. And the ark represents the presence of God to them. They don't have the benefit that we do of having the Holy Spirit that is present in each one of us today. And so we get to see how as the ark comes back and the presence of God is represented to that, they have great reason to sing a new song. They have great reason to praise the glory of God as their protector, as their provider, as their deliverer, and a God who keeps all His promises and His faithfulness to a less than faithful people. And so... I want to break this psalm down into three sections. And, and the first one is, sing a new song every day. Sing a new song every day. The first three verses of this song, you'll see the first triplet it is what it's called. And it's the way that the psalmist, I don't know about you, I need things repeated multiple times, and I've found that my kids do too. But he says, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. Do you get the point? Sing to the Lord. And so, your treasure of God and His glory is measured by the pleasure you have for His presence in your life. Your singing declares His glory to His people and it evangelizes the nations. So when do you find yourself singing? I'm sure we have varying degrees of singing ability here. I personally think I sing like Chris Tomlin, no one agrees with me. But, when are you most inhibited in your singing? When are you most joyful? Where do you find yourself singing? Is it when you're alone? 
Is it when you're in a, a bigger group like this? Is it in the bathroom? Is it in your vehicle with the stereo blaring? Is it with your earbuds in or your headphones on and singing at the top of your lungs and <laughs> a very out-of-tune voice tends to be? I don't know about you, but my uh, most favorite circumstances to sing are a lot of those. When I'm alone or in the bathroom, get time to myself, driving in my car, unwinding from whatever kind of day it's been, and just there'll be a, a song like the one we sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I'll just start singing that at the top of my lungs. And one of the other circumstances that I find is just my favorite singing opportunities. And, and I want to use the word singing here. I want you to think in terms of expressing your heart joyfully. It doesn't necessarily have to, to come out melodiously or whatever a good word is for that because I'm not a magician, but a musician. I'm not a magician either. <laughs> but a way that you express yourself joyfully. And for me, it's, it's been as a father. I happen to have five daughters, and, and when I would put them to bed at night, we had a, a certain repertoire of songs that I would sing to them. And it was a way for them to, one, calm down, but two, it also, if they were scared or afraid, it, it gave them a peace to have their father sitting there, rubbing their back, singing, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Songs like that. And uh, even, even now, as some of them have gotten older and are still in our house, they still ask me at times to sing for them as I put them to bed. And <laughs> that's an amazing thing when your teenager asks you to sing over them at night as a father. And now I have grandchildren, as I mentioned, I have three of them, and I get to sing some of those same songs to them spontaneously when I'm holding them, because I'm, I'm just, like, they're so precious and they're so lovable. And my grandfather's heart, like this extra ventricle within my heart that God has produced in the last few years, I get to, to show that by singing. And so... In your life, what causes you to sing? Think about it. Or maybe flip it around. What stops you from singing? What keeps you from singing? Maybe you're self-conscious. You're going to wonder, <laughs> and people are, I, I don't have a good voice, or they're going to think I'm weird. Um, Maybe you don't express yourself joyfully or passionately because you're more concerned about people's perspective of you. That's one of the big ones for me. Maybe it's suffering and sadness. Our family's coming through a time of tremendous sadness and suffering. And it's interesting when I signed up for this <laughs> sermon a couple months ago, how timely it would be for me to consider singing to the Lord a new song when in my heart I'd rather 
be the lead singer of a screamo band and just yell at God uh, out of sadness or anger. And, and so what does it look like, even in the midst of sadness or suffering or difficult circumstances or you know, being around others that you're not sure what they're going to think of you, to sing a new song? The psalmist says, sing a new song. Something new, something fresh, something alive. It's not something lifeless or something stale or even something rotten. It's not living on yesterday's faith, but living out the new mercies that we sang about this morning from Lamentations 3. Or is a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 says, In Christ we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Or how about the aliveness that we have through Christ? The newness of life that Romans 8 talks about. That's the kind of newness that should produce an incredible joy in us. And so it's an understanding that as we place our faith in Jesus anew day after day, He's our treasure. And we rejoice in our own salvation as we enter into our daily lives. We recognize how eternally good we have it because of Jesus. And the psalmist isn't making singing optional. He repeats it three times. As you sing, you have something worth singing about. And so this phrase, sing to the Lord, he believes that because of the Lord and who the Lord is and what he's done, that he's worth singing about. And it's a universal command. He says, sing to the Lord all the earth. And in doing so, we are declaring His glory among the nations. And His marvelous works among who? All the peoples. It's a global, universal proclamation and declaration. That's how great God is. And so we see from this psalm that we're singing this song to the nations with our lives. It might be in your neighborhood or it might be a broader reach, but we're singing it to the nations. The world is looking on. A singing heart is an evangelizing heart. A singing heart is an evangelizing heart. Because we have good news of salvation through Jesus to tell every single day. How many thousands of missionaries do you think received their call through Psalm 96? I bet a lot. And I would ask you this morning, who in your life needs to hear your new song? Because I'm sure you have people around you that need a new song. The presence of the Lord is so real in your life that like David, you can't stay still. You can't be quiet. You must dance and sing. Because the Lord is so near to them 
and wants them to draw near to him for salvation. That's what Acts 17 talks about. As we point to the Lord, we nudge people closer and closer to God if they don't already know him. And God is actually not far away. What do you see the world singing the loudest about or roaring the loudest about? Sporting events, protests, um, weddings, dances, concerts. And certainly those are opportunities to sing loud or to roar. But what do you sing loudest about? How loud are you about the Lord? How does it compare to a touchdown by your favorite football team or being at a concert with your favorite artist? Think about that. What do you focus your conversations about around your friends, around your neighbors, around co-workers, or even strangers? The psalmist wants you to remember and be encouraged that you're not alone declaring this message. You are actually joining God's global choir. There are many, many, many other believers declaring this same message, singing it to the world. And it is because what you gravitate towards is a reflection of what you treasure the most or find pleasure in the most. And Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Matthew 12, 34. And the greatest of God and his infinite and eternal glory can fill our hearts overflowing in all our relationships. And so that leads us to our second point. Treasure God rather than the nothings of this world. This is our daily battle and opportunity, is to treasure God rather than the nothings of this world. And I'll explain that a little bit more. But when we treasure the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, and glorify Him, we admit the worthlessness of what the world treasures. And we acknowledge His greatness as our Most High God. Look at what he says here in verses 4 through 9. We're going to see another triplet. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord. And what does ascribe mean? It means to recognize it means to give value to. It means to acknowledge. And so the psalmist here wants us to recognize the characteristics of our God, of Yahweh, as they say in the Old Testament. And so if you were to, we'll, let's buzz right through Psalm 96 with the characteristics of God. In verse 2, he's Savior. Verse 3, He's globally glorious. Marvelous works are attached to him. In verse 4, he's great, feared above all gods, little g. Verse 5, creator. Verse 6, splendor, majesty, strength, beauty, 
Verse 7, glory, strength again. In verse 8, glorified name. Verse 9, splendor of holiness, causes trembling. Verse 10, he reigns, the unbiased judge. Verse 13, the righteous and faithful judge. Do you suppose the psalmist wants to give us a little bit of a picture of who God is? I mean, he just keeps going verse after verse after verse. And when you dwell and meditate on those attributes of God, it causes you to treasure Him. It causes the circumstances of your life to grow so small in light of how great God is. And it also helps us to have this this fear above all gods. And fear here doesn't mean like scared of spiders fear or scared of the dark fear. It means respect or reverence or a blown away, wow, that's awesome type of fear. Especially compared to the gods that people create that are worthless. Worthless idols, he calls them. And a way to translate that in the Hebrew means nothings. They're nothings. And so, why are they nothings? Because they can do nothing for us. They make us promises that are never kept. They never fully satisfy us, nor create anything that can be treasured for all eternity. What nothings are you chasing after in your life that you think will offer you something? Are you like me, where you chase after the God of approval, the nothingness of having man, people, affirm who you are and your identity being found in them? Or is it the God of comfort? The nothingness of binging on Netflix, (laughs) spending six hours there and realize, wow, unfruitful. Or maybe it's security. Maybe it's control. Maybe it's success in your work. Those are all the things that we can raise to the level of being a God to us, but it's actually nothing. It does not last. It's futile. It will never save us. And so think about that. A couple of areas that I reflected on is is how much screen time am I taking? How much time on social media? And why the time in social media? Lately, it's been comfort food. One of my kids was astounded that I could consume 1,200 calories of barbecue kettle chips and a root beer at 9 o'clock at night. That was not satisfying. I didn't sleep good. (laughs) But it's a reflection of my heart. I was seeking comfort in that. And that might seem like a small thing, But any time we substitute a nothing for God, it will not satisfy in a way that God will. And that's what the psalmist wants us to see. 
Paul reaffirms this in Romans 1. For all those who knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and in their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men. Nothings. Therefore, God gave them up to their lusts of their hearts to impurity because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. The interesting thing is, look at verse 5 here. The psalmist moves from people worshiping the nothings to worshiping the Lord who made everything, who made the heavens. Which it is amazing to consider and sing because the, the psalmist goes on to describe our Creator having splendor, majesty, strength, and beauty. And while we were all once unbelievers, and if you're here today and, and you feel like this is foreign to you, you're not sure where you stand as far as your belief in Christ, we're glad you're here. We're glad that you get to hear the psalmist talk about God and what he believes to be true about God, the God who created everything. And out of that, what did he create with? Nothing. We're tempted to worship nothing, but we actually have a God that created everything, including us, out of nothing. And so it's an amazing reality, it's an irony that we get to consider here that God, who made everything out of nothing, is worthy of our worship. And in Him, we can get glory. He created us not because He needed anything. He actually needed nothing. <laughs> but He created us, He created everything out of His love and to give himself glory because he is worthy of glory as the psalmist talks about here. And in him you are here this morning. In him, according to Acts 17 again, you have life and breath and everything. Every heartbeat, every breath you take is from God. Your very existence is owed to God. How many of you chose where you were born and when you were born? No, God chose that, didn't he? Psalm 139 talks about that. And so what a great reminder that we can offer to him all our lives. Romans 12 talks about how we get to offer our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him. That's our spiritual worship. And he calls us not to be conformed to this world, to be conformed to shape by the nothings of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds on the truths of Psalms like Psalm 96. That we may do the will of our great God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's our spiritual worship. That's what we were created to do. It's an amazing reality. 
And so we can offer our finances. We can offer our time. Because it's actually His anyways. And it's a way to express worship. It's a way to be thankful. And that's what David or the psalmist talks about here by bring your offerings into the sanctuary. Bring all that you have into the presence of God. And ask what he would do with that. Because that's where you're going to find most satisfaction, most joy. And so as we see here, as David worships before the Lord and he sings this song of praise to God, in First Corinthians, or I'm sorry, First Chronicles, they're almost spelled the same. David is dancing before the ark. And it's, it, it's, he's dancing, it's almost like a wild, spontaneous, uninhibited dance because he's described as, as dancing in his ephod. And I'm not exactly sure what an ephod is, but I kind of, in my own mind, think of it as like a king's under armor. And uh, maybe that's where they got the term under armor. Uh, but it's not very much clothing. And so much so that his wife, Michael, was ashamed of him and embarrassed. And, but David didn't care. David's response, actually, to his wife, when she approaches him and, and it says she despised him, she says, how can the king of Israel honor how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child till the day of her death. So what we see there is David does not care even what his wife thinks because he knows that he's worshiping the Lord. He is trembling before the Lord. That's another way that the psalmist, the word tremble can be translated is to dance. I think of it, David was doing the psalmist shimmy and I'm, I'm not going to demonstrate that. But when I think about him dancing, he's uninhibited. And he's not seeking to be embarrassing. He's so focused on the Lord that he's going to dance. And so we get to do the same thing. David treasures God's presence so much that it's evidenced with his dancing, his singing, his worship. And so if you believe and treasure with your heart that the Lord is great and greatly to be praised, you will do the same thing. You will experience His attributes, His greatness, 
and you will know that he does not share his glory with anyone. And so you will treasure it. You won't rob it. And it's amazing that out of his mercy and our faith in Jesus, we get to do that. We get to reflect his glory because we have nothing to offer God in and of ourselves. But we're created to bring him glory and so we get to reflect his glory back to him and to the world. We're like mirrors. And so our last point here is in verses 10 through 13, join creation's gospel choir. I love this section. Well, I love the whole psalm. But this one really struck me. And, and we get to join creation's gospel choir. And for one thing, I'm, I'm, I, I don't sing well, but I recognize that I get to join in with creation's choir. We will sing with all creation and send the good news to all the nations when we live gladly for Jesus' coming as a perfect judge, our perfect righteousness, and sovereign king. We will sing with all creation and send the good news to all the nations when we live gladly for Jesus' return, his coming back, our meeting of him as the perfect judge and our perfect righteousness and sovereign king. And so the author calls God's people so if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you are one of God's people. To say to each other, to our neighbors, to our family members, to the nations, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. And as we declare these truths, that He reigns, that He has created the world, and it will never be moved. that God is in control. As we declare these things, in some mysterious way, we're joining with all of His creation. Think about that. I'm sure you've traveled to different places and seen different parts of God's creation. And we get to join with all creation because that's what's... God, creation is created for is to bring God glory creation actually longs and groans to bring God glory and one day it will and it will do it forever and Paul writes of this mystery of, of this future glory of how we are waiting with all creation and faith to be released from this broken world to be released from our own sin and how it inhibits us into a freedom that lasts forever, into the glory of God and the, and, and the freedom from His judgment. It talks about God the Lord as judge here. Into His eternal presence. In Romans 8, 18 to 35, listen to these words as Paul writes and think about our connection with creation and how it all points to God's glory. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing 
for the revealing of the sons, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's us. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it patiently. Now link that to what the psalmist is is sharing here, where he writes, The Lord reigns. The Lord eternally and sovereignly rules over every single molecule of the universe. And we join with all creation to sing for joy for how well God rules and reigns. He says, let the heavens be glad. When the heavens are mentioned, what do you think of? Do you think of going out outside the city on a dark night? Maybe you've been in a place like Canada or someplace where they don't have pollution and lights and looked up at the sky? If you were to do that, and I'm sure you've done it, you can see approximately 6,000 stars. Now, I'm not a math major, but I looked at Google. And uh, so take this estimate for what it's worth. My point is not the exact numbers. But the Milky Way galaxy has... uh, Let me look at my notes because I'm going to mess up these numbers. A hundred billion stars. And there's an estimated two trillion galaxies in our universe. That's two times ten to the eleventh power. And so if you take a hundred billion times two trillion, you get an absolutely astounding number. There are approximately 200 billion trillion stars in the universe, 2 times 10 to the 23rd power. Start counting. That only God has seen, that God has named, that are glad to declare the Lord's reign over the universe. Doesn't make us feel very big, does it? But we get to join in that choir. He talks about letting the seas roar and all that fills the sea. When you look out at the ocean and the sea, wave after wave after wave after wave striking the rocks or the shore, the Lord knows and moves every single one of those waves. He knows where it starts. He knows where it ends. He knows and he controls the roaring 
of the estimated 326 million trillion gallons of water on the earth. I have a hard time controlling a glass of water some days that goes down my wrong throat. But what does God do? The seas and all that in them roar because it rains. There's so many marine life species in the ocean. They've only discovered about two to three million. They believe there's 50 million. In that 36, 326 million trillion gallons of water. But that's just one small example of how the Lord has established the world and it will never be moved unless He determines it. That's our Lord. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Have you ever been up on a mountain, look across a mountain meadow or a valley somewhere, or even go to Good Earth State Park and see the wildflowers? And looking at just how many thousands of wildflowers there are, there's actually about 30, 369 thousand different species worldwide of flowers. Believing that God created every one of those for His glory. And then there are thousands upon thousands of flowers on mountaintops, in hidden away valleys that no human eye will ever see. But it's bringing glory to God. And that's what matters. It's seen by God's eyes. And you and I are seen by God's eyes. And He wants us to believe that He reigns, that He rules. And that He's evidenced that through His Son. The rule of all creation who is there in Genesis 1, speaking into existence from nothing, He sent Him to earth for us. Jesus, the creator of these trillions of billions of sextatillion is what it's called, took on flesh and became small like us. He emptied himself while still ruling and reigning in some way. And that's good news for us this morning because we can come to him knowing that He lived the perfect life. He died to pay for our sins. He was resurrected to conquer Satan, sin, and death. And now He rules and reigns at the right hand of the Father in the throne of heaven so that we could reign with Him as our King. And we can experience His perfect righteousness, clothed in His perfect righteousness, and you already know what it's like to be in the presence of Jesus. You've come into His courts, bringing your life as an offering because you know that He is most glorified when you are most satisfied in Him and closest to Him. So when the psalmist talks about Jesus coming as a perfect judge to judge the world in righteousness, you have no fear because Jesus is no longer your judge He's your Savior. He's your King. He's your friend. He's your Redeemer.
You believe that he came as your substitute. And he has brought good news for all the peoples of the world so that when he comes one day to judge the earth, and as Philippians 2 talks about, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. On that day, you and I will sing a new song for all eternity. And that song will no longer be sung by faith, but it will be sung by sight. We will be singing into the face of Jesus, seeing in his eyes how great a salvation, and we'll sing the newest, most eternal song for all eternity. We will express joy uninhibited, a passion and a love (laughs) that is totally free. So let's keep practicing. Digging into his word, meditating on it day and night. As the psalmist talks about in Psalm 1, delight in the Lord. Be in the presence of the Lord. The Lord makes known to you the path of life. At his right hand is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. The song will be sung forever. Our singing will ever end. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that we can sing to you a new song. That today we have new mercies that fill us, that fuel us to see you as our treasure, to see the things of this world as small, to see our sin as paid for, to be invited into your presence, Jesus, now by faith, to experience your grace and mercy, to sing and know, Jesus, that you are better. You are better than life itself because you are our life. And so please show us that. Please give us a a renewed sense of your glory in such a way that we join our voices together, that we join our hearts together with all creation and give the glory due to your name. It's in Jesus' majestic and strong name we pray. Amen.